So for people who are listening to this, when you come on this damn show, y'all better be prepared because these brothers here ain't playing with these damn questions. One guy said uh, one day, he said, uh, man, I'm going to sign you up for an open mic night. I said, go ahead and do it. I ain't scared. Don't, don't. Let's do this. Oh, man, these people, I'm going to crush this. Man, I got like four or five laughs. I was like, oh, this is not going well, right? Being older, looking back, I don't want to be able to tell my grandkids, hey, that guy right there, I got that guy started. Hey, welcome to another exciting episode of the Dre and Smiley Inner Circle Podcast. We have yet another amazing guest on the show today. Yes, he is definitely amazing. We have Mike Cuts. Mike Cuts went from doing comedy shows to producing comedy shows with untapped talent in Tampa and St. Pete, Florida. He started out with the open mic, going to the open mic circuit and with his co-workers and then he just went to doing comedy, and he used to have people in his office laughing. And and I've been knowing, I've met Mike a couple of years ago, and I, I didn't realize he was a funny man. And now, now I'm laughing. I was like, dude. And we started talking. And he told me he started telling me what he's doing, and I said, like, man, you want to get on a podcast? I'm like, of course. So, Mike, welcome to the podcast, and, and tell us. How do you go from making them laugh at work to producing comedy? So it's, it's funny, you know, I worked in an office setting, you know, I've been doing sales for like, you know, years, man. So, you know, we'd be in the office, just they let us cut up because you like the sales team to be loose, you know. So they just let us cut up in there and it's like anything I see happening, you know, I just go in on them, you know what I'm saying? And then most of them, <laughs> most of them, you know, are really square people, so... But the young people would get the jokes and stuff, and they'll be on the floor laughing. Did you hear what he said? You know, under their desk, and they what's wrong? You know, so one guy said uh, one day, he said, uh, man, I'm going to sign you up for an open mic night. I said, go ahead and do it. I ain't scared. Don't, don't. Let's do this. Yeah. And then he did it, and I was scared as hell, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so he, he double double triple dared you and you just did it and and how was that was it was you terrified did you stutter how did you how did you the lights did it was it like a a, a drug that got you no up? That was, that's a good question i mean he pulled my car right so i wouldn't let him do it in the office because everybody's listening so i said okay let's go let's go so uh he ended up signing me up for uh, uh open mic night uh, all the whole office came, right? So there's a difference between being funny and telling jokes, right? Oh yeah. So that's a totally different ball game. I can be spontaneously funny, right? But when I have to write down actual jokes, create a storyline, a middle, an ending, and a punchline, bro, I was like terrified, right? Yeah. <laughs> You don't know, if it, don't know if it's gonna work or not, right? So I was just practicing, man, trying to practice. Well, that's all. Well, before I turn it over to Andre, I saw you on YouTube, and and I'm over forty. And when you went through that uh, very personal rendition of a prostate exam, I, it brought back memories, and I'm like, oh my! So and, and he said, "What'd you call him? Long finger." <laughs> 
So yeah, exactly. So but man, thank you. Um so you mentioned the beginning, the middle, the end, and the punchline. Um what was the biggest challenge? Is it is it the writing or is it just the spontaneity or the lack of spontaneity? So it's actually the writing, right? I mean, because I'm already, you know, growing up in the hood, we used to talk about, you know, your moms, your dads, you know, the whole Jonah session. So I was always good at that, you know, being quick. But to actually write a joke that people can get and make them laugh, you don't know if it's going to work, right? So you don't know how they're going to receive the joke. So growing up, um, my dad um, was hilarious. Came from a relatively large family. But mm-hmm. he wasn't like, he didn't tell jokes. He was very serious. He was, but the things he did were hilarious. As a result, <laughs> um, my sister's, she's a riot. She's funnier than me, but I'll never tell her that. Uh, one of my brothers actually was a comic for a while. Uh, he's, a, he's a writer now. Um, and so, you know, I, 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 I think I have, you know, I have some one-liners that'll make you laugh a little bit. I, I wouldn't say I'm a comedian. But I think I got that from from my dad, just because you know the stuff he did. We all would you know crack up about. Where does it come from for you? When you think back, you know, growing up and you know in the, in, in 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 the city, all of us you know went through Ribbon, Jonah, wherever you, whatever you called it from the area you were in, we went through that. But everyone wasn't good at it. Everyone you know um, couldn't just you know put out those zingers. Where does it come from for you? That ability to tell jokes. That's a good question. So uh, I think it's it came from being like a little shy kid growing up, you know, in the hood. And uh, everybody used to pick on me, you know what I mean? Because being, you know, the smaller kid all the time. And then so I would learn to it was like a a defense mechanism. Right. So when they would pick on me, I would find something on them to go right at and it would just automatically shut them down and everybody would start laughing. I was like, pretty good at this right so it got around and nobody would even mess with me they wouldn't even talk about me no more they'll, they'll say something but don't say nothing back so I went to the end of the thing. Yeah. so that's where it really comes from you know i kind of like it's sort of like protecting myself if you will you know from sure. being like you know picked on sure so yeah yeah that, that resonates with me because I, I was telling my son recently and he um i feel like he he got the gene early um, when he was probably five or six, uh, came home and my daughter, who was at the time, maybe three was like, daddy, where's my such and such? I forgot to pick something up for her. She asked me for something. I forgot to get it. And she asked me where it was. And my, my son just jumped in and, you know, told her something, you know, to calm her down. And then I'm kind of looking like kind of curious. And then he looked at me and says, I just saved your life. And then he starts laughing. So I, I, share, I share that to say that, you know, I think it's genetic, right? I think it's genetic. And part of it is, you know, your 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 uh, exposure, you know, your surroundings. Um, do you have family members that are as funny as you? So, the, no, no, actually, I don't. But like your dad, like my uncles were seriously funny, right? So they would say something, they meant it to their heart. But we'll be dying laughing because the way they delivered it, it could be something like, didn't I tell you to rake up them damn leaves? You know, but how he did it was so funny and you're going. So, uh, but no, they're not naturally funny people. They're actually pretty serious people, man. They don't laugh too much at all. 
Yeah, that's my dad. That's my dad. He's super serious. But the stuff he would say or do, all of us just, you know, would fall out. Um, tell me this. When you think about, you know, growing up, you were influenced, I'm, I imagine, by different comics. Tell me about some of the comics that influenced you and your style. Yeah, so that's a good question, too. I mean, you know, we all grew up on Richard, you know what I mean? Um, Robin, you know, Robin Williams, uh, you know, people like that. I, I like the quick, witty comedy always got me. Right. And um, I didn't really like talking about people because, you know, growing up, I could talk about people. So that be, that was easy. I like Dio. He was one of my favorites. He's very clever and his delivery is excellent. So I, I used to study him a lot. And then, um, you know, I grew up in St. Louis. So said the entertainers. Uh, I've been doing said um, when he was nobody. Right. So they all used to do like a little comedy. It's like y'all remember Ponderosa. They used to they used to close it down in St. Louis at night, and it would be a comedy show. So Sid and them used to come through there like D.L. Hughley when they were nobodies, right? When people just like I started out, you know, trying to get on. That's how you try to get out and, and get on. So we used to see them raw, man. It was so funny, and I was like, this stuff is great, you know. And I never thought about you know trying to do it one day. I just knew it was in me though, but I never tried it. So. Can can you uh, elaborate a little bit on the business side of comedy? Is it is it similar to being an actor or because I was fascinated when you and I spoke and you said, well, I I open acts, I do promotions, I got comics all around the country, and 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 that's the part that no one sees. It's it's like what is it? I think someone said Denzel said I was a twenty year overnight success, and you touched upon it when DL Gugli and. Cedric, the entertainer, were not big. They were grinding it out, getting on the open mics and doing different things at the Ponderosa just to get on that national spotlight. So if you can, what's the journey? If, if I said, okay, Drace, like, Smiley, you're funny, dude. Go, go get with Mike so you can be at the Open Comedy Central. What is that like? Is that like, tell that journey. So yeah, so what I found out, you know, and I started late, right? It was like, again, it was, I was in my, 40s, man. So I, I wasn't trying to be a comedian superstar. You know, I had a nine to five. So it was just something. And I love laughter costs nothing. Right. Laughter is free. And this, and this world is hurting people in pain. So I just love to make people laugh. If I can make them laugh for two hours and get rid of their problems and whatever they're going through. To me, that, that makes me feel good, man. You know, so I wasn't looking to be no star or anything like that. So I would go and try to get at the improv. Uh, all these, you know, big places. And they, here's the thing, they won't let you in. No matter how funny you are, if you're not bringing them two or 300 people, they're not going to put you on that main stage. So then I found out, damn, this is political. This is like a, a business. Like, no matter how funny you are, right? You could be the funniest dude and not going to put... They got the main guy who open up for the, the big acts that come to town. They use almost the same guys. There's one or two guys they use. And then, you know, the DLs and them go on stage and do their thing. So you can't, it's kind of hard for you to break down a barrier. I mean, it's easy for the kids now, but I'm talking 12, 13 years ago, right? You didn't know YouTube. So you had to try to get in there and prove to the manager guy, like, hey, I'm funny. Let me in. He's like, no. So I linked up with one of my buddies. I said, man, let's, I'm tired of this, man. Let's do this ourselves. And he said, I know a couple of clubs, Mike. So, I, so we went to the club guys and we said, hey, man, we want to put on some comedy slow shows. I know your traffic's kind of slow. You know, you can we'll bring some audience to you. 
I said, can you give me the front door and you take the bar? He said, that, that works for me. You can sell out my bar. You can get, you know, the tickets from the front door. So that's what we started doing. We started putting out flyers, you know, and I worked the open mic circuit. Right. So as a comedian, to practice your jokes, we all we all go to the same places. So we collect phone numbers from each other. Right. So I started getting all these different guys and we exchanged numbers. And I said, hey, man, I'm doing my own thing now. And he was like, oh, you're on mic? Call me, call me. So we they used to start out doing them for free for me. Then they start charging me with they man, they start charging me for a hundred dollars a set. I was like, oh Lord, you used to be free. You ain't Kevin Hart. So yeah, that's how it started, man. And, and and say, for example, you mentioned opening for say the main guys. So have you opened for anyone like a Chris Tucker or who is who is from a comedian perspective? Because you mentioned Richard, Eddie Murphy back in the day, but who was that person that was like, I can't believe I'm coming on the mic before this big time uh, D.L. Utley? Or who was that comedian that you's like, man, if I get open for them, that'll just make your 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 year, your life? Well, unfortunately, I never got a chance to. I mean, I came close to, but um, Eddie Griffin, I came across a couple of times, but never got a chance to open for him. But we were like in the same setting a couple of times, like, damn. I had the shot, you know, but again, it's getting past the manager, man. You know, he wouldn't, you know, he uses his own same people. So it, it was tough for me, but I wanted to do that bad. Just one shot of just, you know, opening for somebody. Cause I got some, you know, years of stuff. I know works. Okay. <laughs> well, you, you know, Eddie was cool in the sense that um, I think it was 2003. I was working in Amsterdam and, um, Eddie Griffin was there at an outdoor cafe restaurant and I actually saw him. And, you know, it was, I mean, they got brothers over there, but he could tell I was from the U S and I just, I wasn't stalking him. I just went up, introduced myself and he was just real normal, real cool. And uh, I had a certain level of respect for him then because some other Hollywood types, they just be like, man, get away from me. Who are you? He was just sitting there minding his business. I guess he had his people around, but uh, Eddie was cool. He, he, he had a soft spot in my heart because he was so approachable and he wasn't condescending, so man, yeah, he's a good dude. But yeah. all right, yeah, I met him in West Palm Beach, and the same thing. He was sitting down having lunch, and I went over to him. Uh, he's from Kansas City. I said, "I'm from St. Louis." We chopped it up a little bit, and he said, "Well, I'm opening up at the Improv down here in West Palm." And I was like, "I do a little comedy, man. I hope you know. I'll try to fit. I'll shot my shot, but you know, <laughs> ain't nothing he can do about it. You know what I'm saying? Right. So they were paying him, but that was a, the closest I ever got, man." Yeah, the story you shared about how you and your buddy went out and figured out, let's do this ourselves, right? They won't let us in, let's do it ourselves. Reminds me of the story Earthquake um, shared um, a number of times on different platforms with uh, starting the um, comedy, what was it called? Uptown Comedy Club in Atlanta. So back in the day, they were trying to do the same thing you were doing. They wanted to get into these clubs that were, they were predominantly white, they didn't see the value, you know, in the black comics. Um, they didn't see the, the, the value they brought. And so what they decided to do, Earthquake and his business partner, they opened up a club called Uptown Comedy Club. Michael, dude, that place was off the chain. I mean, we saw everyone come through there. You you name it. Anyone who's still around today, they went. They came through there. Uh, DL, uh, obviously Earthquake. Dave Chappelle, uh, 
I didn't realize it was happening at the time. I didn't know the story until years and years later when he told it. It was great seeing how successful he was coming out coming out on his own. So with that in mind, tell me this, Michael, what's the what's the game plan? What's the what's the final product you're trying to put out there? So that's another good question. So um, there's a couple of guys that's doing their thing now. Well, here's the thing. I had a lot of things set up before COVID, right? So COVID, before COVID, I was going to make a good run. I had it all written down. I had my game plan set up. I was going to do like three shows. My original plan was I was going to take the local, my local acts, teams that I had here and just try to do the state of Florida, right? Hit all the circuits in Florida that we could, you know, and uh, put them out there. Because again, it, it, I'm not, it's not about me, man. Like I'm, I'm trying to bring these guys out. But uh, since COVID hit, you know, uh, guys went out and started doing their own things. And they're doing well. Like I, uh, Rio Paris is a, a buddy of mine who's been with me for a long time. He's in New York right now. He's doing well. He's uh, doing – they love him up there. He's killing them. So uh, he started out with me, man, uh, oh, man, like nine, ten years ago. Another guy named Cam Bertrand, he was on uh, Last Comic Standing. He started out with me. These guys I used to pay, you know, do it for free. Then they started charging me. But, you know, so uh, – I would like to, and I'm still working on it, but everybody's kind of disconnected now since COVID, right? So I'm trying to put it together where I just, I want to do the state of Florida tour, right? So I have to get out there and start, you know, networking again. And I haven't been networking for a while. So, but that's the end game for me. If I can do like a, just a tour of unknown acts that are so funny man these guys will have you dying and you never even heard of them before right so if i can somehow put them out there that would be like the end game for me you know that would be great that would be great i know with a lot of businesses you know once covid came they had to pivot right and so like you you had a, a game plan to tour florida and put everyone on the map and so now you have to adjust that just a bit tell me this this might be uh um uh, unrealistic. But remember during COVID, how they had the verses going on with you know different artists. Could you see something like that potentially happening in comedy, where you have a virtual show that people would you know attend, pay tickets for, and then attend virtually? Is that is that something that can happen in comedy? It probably could work. Um... I don't know how you would, you know, set it up, but it probably could work. It kind of be, it'll be tough because you got to hope, you know, at eight o'clock on a Saturday that everybody want to go home and, you know, listen to you or sit down and watch, you know, you what you guys got got to say, you know. But that's not a bad idea, you know. It's, that's definitely something to think about. I mean, versus was a great idea when they did that. I was like, damn, that's a good idea, yeah, you know. Yeah. With speech, I think it was right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was wondering, say, let's say when you you meet a comedian, say in the Florida area, Ocala, he comes down like, Mike, I'm funny, I'm funny. And like you said, you went from that being witty funny versus writing the comedy out in a script. Do you find that do you do you conduct training with your people or they come at you as they're like, man, Mike, uh, let's say our mutual friends like this dude is hilarious, Mike. And you're like, yeah, yeah, you're funny. But this is what you got to do to be on stage. Do you find that that's an easy transition for the funny people or is it something that you just like, no, beginning, middle, end, punchline? Or how does that transition work for the naturally funny people who are, let's say, not trained on the so stage? So for me, like when they bring me people, 
I usually know who my go-to people are, right? I use them because we do, I host it. Uh, I have an opening act, middle guy, and the closer, right? So typically, I know who the middle and the closer guys are. I know they're going to kill, right? So if you're, you're the new guy to the team and I don't know how good you are, I'm just going off of their word, right? But I'll usually try to get a get a feel for you. I'll sit and talk to you for a little bit. And if you can make me, you know, just general conversation, if you can make me chuckle, because comedians, they can't help themselves, right? They're naturally funny people. They're going to, you're going to see if they got something. Man, I was like, oh, this guy kind of, I, I see it. I see it. So I'll let them open up. But what I do with my, my audience is I let them know, you know, we don't we don't boo anybody. Right? We're, we're, we're showcasing new people for you. You can come here, eat, drink. We got the DJ playing good music. It's a good vibe. You know, don't mess with them. They won't mess with you. Right. <laughs> and uh, give this man a shot right here because somebody gave me a shot, man. I just jumped on stage. You know, I didn't think people were going to laugh. So I try to give people a shot. Now, if they're not funny. The crowd will tell him that, right? So I don't have to tell him that, right? He'll know when he get on stage right. and three people chuckle. Right. You'll know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it yeah, happens sure. to me. Every comedian <laughs> failed. Trust me. It happened to me, bro. It's humbling. And, and, and um, I was listening to one of your another one of your YouTube clicks, and I didn't realize you mentioned at the end of one of your uh, your videos that the guy was flashing you at the back. So I didn't realize they had those little cues like, all right, this is your light. And and I think we all can remember. Uh, it made me think of, um, remember Dre and, and, and Mike back in the yeah. Apollo days? And hey, that man. dude come out with yeah. the whole thing <laughs> and you off the stage. <laughs> and, and Mike said, Mike said I, I see the light. He flashed at me, so I got to go. So I was just like, man, that was really cool. So tell us about, so you're, you have a store. If you want, you can plug your facility here in Tampa, wherever that is. If someone wanted to come and catch your your new talent or catch you in St. Tampa, St. Pete, where is that? And, and talk about the, the female version. Do you have lady comics? Do you have African-American comics, white comics? What's your diversity like or, or what's your the people that's on your That's group? another good question. So I like diversity, man, Like because I played all white clubs. And I've played all black clubs. Now, let me tell you something. Those jokes don't intertwine, okay? So, trust me. I tried. They do not work. So you got to be universally funny, right? So I got females, uh, white, black, uh, all types, man. All, all, we don't turn on nobody, man. If, you, if you're funny, you have the courage to get on stage and do this. You know, I'll give you a shot. Now, <laughs> Whether or not you can sustain it and stay on that's a whole other story. But uh, yeah, I got in my phone. I probably got 50, 50 local comedians and and entertainers. Because at one point we used to do bands too. We used to do bands and you know comedians. But my buddy who I started out with, he branched off and left me. He's doing his own thing now, uh, and they're doing uh, they're promoting clubs and parties so they're doing the party scene i just stuck with the comedy scene that's the party with my thing so i still do comedy he's doing the party side of it but we're in a ebor city i'm at a martin marcel it's a cuban club in ebor city uh is what we're trying to promote right now so i'm trying to get that spot going right on 7th street so nice nice yeah i i think i think uh, it's um 
And tell me if you would agree with this. I, I feel like comedy can be a fickle friend. What I mean by that is that, and you, you alluded to this earlier in terms of jokes, working in one room and not another. Uh, Ricky Smiley was talking about when he first started out, um, Steve Harvey gave him, you know, gave him a shot and, you know, coached him a bit. And at the time, Ricky Smiley was killing it. You know, he was going through all mm-hmm. the South, just crushing it, you know, HBCUs, mm-hmm. black clubs. He was, he was everywhere. He was, he was, just, mm-hmm. he was crushing it. Um, and the people that were booking him were pretty much from the same cloth, you know, it was, you know, young guys, you know, from the, you know, hip hop heads, et cetera. And so a promoter was like, oh, dude, you're on fire. You know, I'm sending you here. I'm sending you there. I'm sending you there. And then all of a sudden, um, they wanted him to open up for a concert, right? And I feel like it was, I forget what the audience was, but it was the polar opposite of what he had been playing to. So either it was like he was playing to like the hip hop crowd, and now this crowd was like Luther Vandross, you know, which is a different crowd. And he went out there and he was like, <laughs> like three seconds in, they were just booing him and not listening to him. He said he got off stage, the promoter wouldn't look at him, the art, the other artists wouldn't look at him. <laughs> you know, so it's one of those things where it could be kind of a fickle friend. Is that fair to say? Yes. Oh, very fair. Because yeah. they bring when you when you bring bands like that, right? They bring different people, different crowds. And I didn't know that. I had to learn that too, because I'm thinking everybody laughs at everything and it's not necessarily true. Right. Because again, it's just different type of people, a different vibe. So I'm like, oh man, these people, I'm going to crush this. Then right. I got like four or five laughs. I was like, oh, this is not going well, right? So <laughs> wait, wait, I just wait, 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 wait. Is the mic not working? <laughs> <laughs> right. right here. Is this on? Hello? Yeah, so I, 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 I totally got it. So we kind of bran- we branched away from that. So we just made it strictly comedy and a DJ. So you come into a comedy show, don't expect no musicians to start serenading you, okay? Right, right. Yeah, it also reminds me of, um, and this story came out years and years later too, but um, what's the guy, a black comic from Chicago? Um, he's, he passed away. He was part of the Kings of Comedy. Well, um, oh, Bernie Mac? Bernie Mac. It reminds me of when he, um, and this story, I don't think any of us, Bernie Mac, yeah. I don't think any of us heard the story until, you know, decades later. But we all remember when he was on Def Comedy Jam and he just crushed it with the, uh, I ain't scared of you. Remember that? Mm-hmm. So did you, you know, guys, did you guys hear the backstory to that? Yeah. So, so apparently, whoever came on before mm-hmm. him, I forget who it was. They they failed. I mean, they just booed him off stage, right? And Bernie Mac heard the boos. He was like, "What's going on out there, right?" So he's like, he's you know, he's like, you know, kind of pacing back and forth. He was like, "All right, you know, I just got to step my game, my game up, you know." So he walks out there, and the performance we all saw is is a result of that. He walked out there, and the DJ Kid Capri and him they didn't talk ahead of time, but the the connection they had because of I, I think of what Bernie Mac demanded, like the, the, his presence, right? Mm-hmm. He came out there, told a joke, and then he goes, kick it! And then Bernie, and then kick it, <laughs> kick it pre, throws on the music, right? Then he did this. He's, it was it was like they rehearsed it, but it wasn't rehearsed. It was so, and that was like one of the best sets he ever did, you know? And, mm-hmm. and for anyone listening, if you haven't seen this set, 
Google Bernie Mac. King, um, what was the name of the show? Uh, that was, that was Def, uh, Def Jam. Def Comedy Jam. Yeah. Def Comedy Bernie Jam. Mac, Def Comedy Jam. Def Jam. One of the best yeah. sets ever. Yep. He crushes it. So yeah, I just want to kind of t- touch on you know how how fickle the the the, uh, the the friend can be. The friend that we call comedy. So tell me this, Michael. Paint a vivid picture of what you do as it relates to the business side of it. You've touched on it here and there, you, you and Smiley, in terms of like having comics and you you have a show that you do at a at a spot uh, in Tampa. Can you paint a vivid picture for those that might be interested in maybe uh, working with you or doing what you do exactly? Yeah. So, so uh, people, it, it's it's the business side is much difficult than being funny on stage, right? So I'm responsible for the venue, setting up the venue, making sure, you know, if we, we're doing foods, because I like to have some for the people to eat and drink, make sure the bar's ready, make sure we have enough servers, make sure the DJ's there, make sure that all acts, I have to have backup acts, because these guys will call you last minute and say, hey, Mike, I'm out. I can't make it. My car broke down. So I have to have like three people on backup. Right. So I always tell the comedian, bring somebody with you just in case, because these people are paying their money. I want to make sure they get the show and my name's on it. Right. So I want to make sure that they're, they're laughing and having a good time because I'll create this, this family atmosphere. But it's tough because I'm responsible. So I get there two hours early. Right. I got to make sure everything's set up the way I want it arranged. I got to make sure the lighting's right. The sound check, like you guys know, I got to go through the sound check, make sure they're good. The DJ's playing the kind of music I want, an old school vibe, you know, the bad boy stuff back in the day. We don't play much of this young, new stuff because I like to appeal to, you know, I'm 55, man. So I appeal to people in my age bracket. That's who comes to my show. It's some younger people, but so, and then the ticket sales, I got to make sure, I, you know, I'm, I'm marketing, getting enough ticket sales out there, you know, and uh, because if you don't fill a venue, you know, they ain't going to want you to come back. So <laughs> it's tough. So, you know, some nights are better than others, you know, um, again, COVID kind of hurt us. I just did a show in July. I think we got around 70 people, which was pretty good, you know, and then uh, so I'm planning one soon. I'm working on it now, but it, yeah, it, it, it's easy to find me, man. I'm, I'm all over the place. I'm on all the social sites, you know, um, so I'm I'm easy to find. Um, but if you're interested, yeah, just 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 look me up, man. Uh, I would love to put you on. I like putting on new guys who are funny and 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 want to showcase their talent. You know, I'll let you bomb. Come on. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> I, I, I'll I'll let you bomb. So I'm looking at it. So it's 2020. 2023 and I do all the futuristic questions. So now it's 2033, you're 65 and you're like, I'm so excited. I toured Florida. We crushed it in Orlando, Jacksonville. And, and, and you know what? I picked up Alabama, but it's because the, the momentum was so great. What does 2033 look like from a comedian, a, a comic perspective, the business side and, Man, I'm so happy because my guys opened up on SNL and they were touring at the NFL at the Super Bowl. They opened up for the for the halftime show. What, what's on that horizon for you from a comedian comic perspective? Man, you guys ask really good questions, man. I, you should, I should have been studying. <laughs> Damn, man. 
You gonna take me this on. Dre, the Dre and Smiley Man, interesting question this podcast. Is, this, is, this is really good. Like so, you thought telling jokes was hard. You're right. You know, I got to answer these damn questions. That ain't, that ain't easy. Yeah, I thought it was gonna be simple. How old are you? Then? How tall are you? That. Um, so, you know, being older, looking back, I don't want to be able to tell my grandkids, "Hey, that guy right there, I got that guy started. That guy right there." He used to come through my spot when nobody knew him, right? That guy right there, just just to know that I helped these people get to a platform that they were trying to get to is where I would like to see myself, you know, down the road. Um, hopefully getting a tour set up like I would want to down the road. Uh, it's going to take a lot of planning and, uh, you know, marketing and strategy. But definitely being proud of what I accomplished for us, putting out, you know, some of this talent that you're going to see, because you're going to see some of this guy. I know my guy is going to make a Netflix special. And I told him he better shout me out because it's going to be hella pay the captain if he don't. Okay. <laughs> so are you like the, let's say this guy, we'll say is smiley and he's funny. And you're like, he did some shows and, are you the bridge to Hollywood with the, I would imagine, is it similar to the actors where you got to get an agent and then you get all that business manager when you get to the uh, Dave Chappelle level or the Chris Rock level, or is it just them? Is it similar to entertainment or is, are you that guy to take them to the next level? So, yeah. So like, if are you a feeder shop? You feed it to. Yeah. Jim. So if you, if you're, if you're sitting at home and you're thinking, you know, I can do this. I'm funny. People say I'm funny, right? Those are the people that I'm looking for, right? And we're going to really find out if you are or not. And then we're going to give you that exposure, right? Nothing helps you more than exposure. Yeah. You bring your camera people with you. You bring your your your, your phones and people are going to YouTube you. They're going to throw it on there. And then people are going to get the chance to see you who never even heard of you, right? So it's all about exposure, man, and, and putting in a different genres, age range, brackets, so we, we appeal to everybody, right? So white class, middle class, poor class, you know, I try to put everybody out there so you can get the exposure, right? Now, these guys are getting all this major exposure because they we gave them a platform. We basically gave them a platform of a full house of us, right? And they made us laugh, right? <laughs> so now they're not afraid of anything, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. So tell me this. So for those that say today the comic scene is saturated, saturated um, in terms of like there's, I don't know, maybe too many comics. What would you say to that? It's, it's too hard to it's too hard to get on because of that. What would you say to that? No, I disagree with that because the the known comics have their people already. You're gonna you're gonna go see, you know, DL. You're gonna go see a Kevin Hart, right? He's not bringing anybody new to his show, but for a new guy who can bring a new audience, you know, I think that creates another level of, you know, comedy and, and bringing another group, another following, if you will, right, mm -hmm. to comedy. And I think it's, it's wide open, but it just don't be afraid to jump in that pool, man, and give it a shot. You know, don't let them talk you down from it. You know, you can do it. Like, it's it's not easy. <laughs> Yeah. But I would say it's not saturated either because it's only Dre. It's only so many jokes I can tell, right? It's only 
so many jokes I can come up with, right? Why not have a new, fresh guy who got a new span and his life is a little different? The way he was brought up is a little different, right? His exposure is different, right? So he's going to tell a different story than me being in my mid-50s, right? So I love it, man. I said, no, I disagree with that. Okay. I I like that. And I was thinking, maybe when you talked about the audience, how – it's, it's I, I as soon as you said that you could come out and maybe like Ricky Smiley, he thought he had a hip hop crowd and it was Luther crowd. Do you have to have a large inventory? Because when you walk out to the stage, you look out and maybe you're expecting all these 25 hip hoppers and you got 45 cruise people or 60 year and older cruise audience. So do you code switch on stage or do you look around like, oh man, or did you look around like, oh yes, or how, how does that work from a comic perspective? Because I would think you would have to be fluid and versatile because what you intended to say, you had to course correct because the audience wasn't who you anticipated. That is an excellent question. I got a story for you. Thank you for that question. Wow. So I, I had a set that I was doing, and I went to scout the set earlier. So I went to week before because I was coming on the following week. So the week before, it was all Spanish. I was like, ooh, ooh. So I started writing down Spanish. I'm a killer. Oh, they're going to love this. The Puerto Ricans, oh, they get this all the time. So I come out, all white audience. I have no backup in my repertoire, right? I ain't got, so I'm letting these, boom, I hear crickets, dude, all you hear is it. <laughs> so I'm going, well, thank y'all for letting me, uh, I appreciate it, thank you. So I fly off stage and I run to the promoter right away and I said, listen, man, give me another shot. Bring me back next week. I'm funny. Bring me back next week. He said, all right, Mike, I'll give you one more shot. You know, you can come back next week. So I started writing universal. I stopped started, stopped writing specifically for the audience. I just came up with stuff that's just universally funny that everybody can relate to, right? Whether you black, white, young, or old, you had this problem, or you've been through this, or you've done that. So I started writing that way, and it was more comfortable for me. And then I can appeal to any crowd that's out there, right? So I already, that's what I said. I got stuff that I already know is going to work because I know it works, right? I tried it 27,000 times, right? <laughs> right. But I, that was a tough lesson, Smiley. Tough lesson. I bet. As, as you share that story, I think about other comics that I've seen that seem to have the universal appeal. Oh, yeah. Appeal. Um, I hate to, yeah. to mention Dave Chappelle because, you know, obviously he's like he's like the the, the goat, the, the, the you know best and best of, of them all, but... There's a joke he tells in one of his Netflix specials, and he you mentioned it's 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 you mentioned that storytelling is what it is, right? It's not one-liners. Um, and in my mind, a good comic doesn't do the black people do this, white people do this, and then wait and wait for the laugh. A good comic, you know, tells a good story, has a good punchline. But there's, there's a, a joke that Dave Chappelle tells where he starts off. He says, I, "I'm so bored at home." I have a fishbowl where I just put words in, you know, I write them on pieces of paper and put them in the fishbowl. And when I'm bored, I'll grab a word out and I'll try to write a joke around it. That's how he starts off the joke. And then he starts telling the story, right? 
as you tell him the story, he's sucking you in, it's sucking you in, sucking you in. And then he hits you with the joke at the end. And, and for me, it's like mind blowing, right? Because I think a good comic is a great storyteller. And you never see the joke coming until it just like smacks you upside the head. It, that, that's what gets you to fall out of your seat. So, yeah, you mentioned that at the top, and um, that, it, it, that resonates with me. So, tell me this, Michael. What's one thing that people don't know about you? I don't think people don't know how funny I really am, right? Because Smiley doesn't even know. <laughs> and he's been knowing me how long now? Uh, it's almost three yeah. years. It was like three, four years ago. And it was only like a month ago I found out you were a funny man. I was like, what? <laughs> is that because you're reserved? Is, is, why, why is it that most people don't know? Is it because you're you're pretty pretty reserved for the most part? Why is that? Why? Don't think well, that. so I, I think that most comedians think they have to be funny, right? Yeah, I'm a comedian. I'm going to be I'm going to be the life of the party. I'm going to be the funny guy. So I kind of like step back from that, right? And kind of let, you know, the the room play itself out, if you will. And I don't, you know, I can I can go set up a show and get on stage anytime I want to. So I don't have to be the focal point. But I think people don't know how funny I, I really am unless you spend time around me, like for hours, then I'm just going to, it's going to naturally come out, right? But in a social setting, I really don't, you know, but when my family's and friends, oh, I let them, I let them have I'll it. You know, you I hit them all the time. Next time you have the show, because he's less than a mile away from my house. I know exactly where it is. I'm, I'm, I'll be in the audience, man, the next show. I didn't even know what was going on over there. So I'm excited. I, I will walk down there with, with we gonna go check you out next time you have an event. Let me know. I'm gonna get the first ticket. So awesome. Go ahead, Dre. Oh, thank you, man. I will. So so real quick, you mentioned that, you know, around your friends and family, you know, you hit them up all the time. Do they do they ever get bold enough to try and challenge you? Is there anyone that, that can can hang with you or are they kind of like, oh, don't say nothing? Otherwise, you know. What's it like? No, you do, you do. You get the one guy, right, who always hear that. You're a comedian, and he the the, the Jones or you know he, he like the the Taylor Jones of the crew, and he always come comes at me right. He here we go again right. So he's all your jacket's too small. Why you got on that small jacket? So we always go you know back and forth you know. So it's uh you always get that guy, but I usually let them I usually let them win. Like I'll give them a one, two of my good ones, and then I'll let them you know finish off because right right. I like to save my stuff for the stage, if you will. It's like, I'm not going to entertain y'all for free. Y'all are coming by a ticket. <laughs> no. Right, right. You got to no. pay for these. You got you to you you pay for no. these. <laughs> no. I don't work too hard to develop Thank these. Thank you. I head them out for free. They just give me these. Use them up, all up and down Martin Luther King Boulevard. <laughs> you know the. Without giving me credit. You know the funny thing about that is you just led me to something else. When I was working an open mic circuit, is you got to be careful with your your main jokes because it's loaded with comedians, right? We all practice in our stuff, and you would see guys with paper, no paper. Soon as you say, oh, so what we learn to do is not tell our best stuff because they'll grab it and take it to a show and they'll go do it, right? So yeah, man, you got to be really concerned. That's why when I'm out in the public. You won't really know I'm that funny because I ain't gonna give you no stuff you can take back. 
have, have you up on stage with my jokes? Steal your act. You be like, man, this fool took my act. <laughs> right. Well, well, we, right. we he took my best joke I had. <laughs> well, Mike, we get ready to move into the final four, and um, so this is where I'm gonna ask you a question. Dre will ask you a question, and I'll ask again. But the final four is: think of it, you're having dinner. There's a table for you in one chair, and there's three other seats. Alive or dead, who would you want to have at your dinner table and why? Three other representatives at your dinner table, alive or dead, and why? So, Michael, uh, uh, Magic Johnson, I want to hear some of those stories about I heard back in the day at the mansion. Yeah. All right. That's a good one. Mm. Uh, <laughs> LeBron James, uh, I like how he, you know, brought his crew from nobodies and they can walk into anybody's business room right now without him. I want to, I need to know how they done that, right? And and uh, D.L. Hughley, I just want to sit down and uh, chop it up with him one day and, and, and get some perspective, man, on, you know, how he became so funny because I think the guy's hilarious. So. Yeah, he is. He is. He's, he's one of the guys I used to see back in the day uh, at the Uptown Comedy Club. I mean, just genius with his jokes. Um, tell me something. You know, well, actually, I'll do one more comment. The, the group that LeBron brought up, that is so unusual, right? You hear all these stories about athletes who have their crew, and the main goal of that crew is to siphon off as much money from that athlete as possible. LeBron's crew has done the polar opposite to your point. They've, they've been able to branch out in their respective areas and build their own identities and walk, you just said, walk into any room as an, as an individual. That's, that's pretty amazing. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. Tell me this. Here's my question for you. What's been your greatest success personally or professionally? Hmm, that's a good question. I think, um, thinking about, being um, a promoter of comedy and actually doing it, right? Because I had the thought of, I'm going to bring out acts. You know, saying it to yourself uh, in your bed is like, it sounds good until you actually have to go out and market, get the acts, find a bar, find a location, uh, put out flyers and the whole thing. So I'm, I'm proud that I was able to do that. I know how to do that because you got to, it's not easy. You have to know what you're doing to get all that to work together, right? And then get the date and schedule the date and, and the whole thing. So I'm proud of that, that I went from writing on my notepad, which Smiley saw me at the, my first open mic that I sent him with the, my notepads on a chair. So I don't know if you noticed me looking at my notes to being able to set up a whole show on my own, right? So... That's one of my greatest successes. How much does social media, what part does social media play in that, the marketing and advertising? Do you use that at all? I do, but here, here's the thing, right? Uh, you're going to get a few new people to your show, but the people really going to come to your show is the people who've been to your show and had a good time, and they're going to tell their friends, and they're going to tell their friends their friends, and they're going to tell their family and their friends, right? And by me not having a signature artist, if you will. So you're really taking a gamble on me because you really don't know these guys like that, right? But you know that Mike put on a good show. He makes you feel warm and welcome 
and you're going to have good fun. The food's going to be good. You have a good time. and You're going to laugh. Right. So and I'll bring out some new people for you to to maybe in the future who can be somebody. Oh, that's nice. Um, so nice. just nice. taking that a little step forward, um, what would you say is your greatest superpower? Man, that's a good question, but I know the answer. Oh. I am a likable guy. People generally like like me just by being in my presence. People I have, and my wife, has noticed it too. We I have people that just come around me and they like, I love your energy. I love your vibe. Like you bring off your aura is just positive and you always in a good mood. You're, you're a good guy. So that, that to me, that's, you know, if you, if you're around me, you spend time with me, you know, if you don't like me, that's a you problem, right? So <laughs> well, most I, people do babies and dogs. <laughs> most people. I, I can, when they come up to you, do they go, Michael, you were smart, you was kind, and everybody loved you. Is that what they say when they come up to you? <laughs> you were smart, you was kind. Well, I, I can attest to that, man. I mean, like I said, I've been knowing Mike for three years, and it was only in the past two months that I found out, or six weeks, four weeks, that I found out that he was a comedian. But he has this energy that you you just want to gravitate towards him, and it's, it's always yeah, positive and and I bumped into Mike on several occasions. A different, I saw you in Ebor. I think a few times. Just every time he has this light that just draws you in, and he's always smiling and happy. And I just thought he was just like a happy dude, but I didn't know he's a funny man. So that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Final question. So you've had a pretty exciting life. Um, you're, you've made the pivot from uh, having a corporate job to doing what you really enjoy. If you were to write a book, an autobiography, what would the title be? So for people who are listening to this, when you come on this damn show, y'all better be prepared because these brothers here ain't playing with these damn questions. Right? They asking you serious <laughs> questions. I got to think about some shit. I was just come on here. This is some bull. I just want y'all to know this. All right. Now, damn it, Dre, repeat that question again. <laughs> okay, you you live a pretty exciting life, right? Uh, you went, you made the pivot from corporate America to following your passion, doing what you really enjoy, uh, which is comedy. So, if you were to write an autobiography, what would the title be? It probably would be uh, from a fool who went to school. I don't know. <laughs> from a fool who went to school. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. You start off being yes. funny, and I had to educate myself in the funny business, man. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. That's what it is. Michael, man, this has been the realest, uh, a more most uh, uh, comic-filled, uh, enjoyable interview we've had. It's 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 been a pleasure learning about your transition from corporate America into comedy learning what happens behind the scenes as it relates to the business side of things. Um, yeah, it's been a pleasure having you on, man. Yeah, and I would echo Dre. Thank you, thank you, Mike. And uh, we appreciate you taking your time out and sharing your your journey and your perspective with our audience. And uh, like I said, man, I, I can't wait for your your next show. We're going to be there. I'm going to be there. And thanks again for sharing your your experiences with our listeners. Oh, man, thank you guys so much for having me on again. I thought I, you know, was boring and, you know, until, you know, Smiley hit me with it. And uh, 
Uh, I had a great time. The questions I'm still upset about, but I'm going to get over it. I'm going to get over it. I hope I answered them pretty well. <laughs> but thank you guys so much for having me. And matter of fact, I love the show. I like listening to the show myself. So I love the show. 